one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. And welcome everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is a very special patriotic podcast for the release of the week including July 4th, 2013. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein and joining me for this special Pride for America episode, I guess, is Mark Raderman. Welcome, Mark. I think if we were talking uh, like Sesame Street does, that we would say that tonight's letter is the letter P because... I heard you say patriotic, and I heard you say pride, and I'm thinking about people, places, and oops, it doesn't work. It falls apart, things, but we definitely have some things to share. Yes, indeed, and even if you're not an American, this is still something that um, we like to say here in America is ours, but in actuality, it is truly a worldwide piece of amazing technology. And by that, again, we're going to have to drop the letter P and switch to the letter S. What starts with the letter S? I think of two words that can actually go with each other. That is the space shuttle. As you may remember, in July of 2011, the final space shuttle mission, STS-135, launched on July 8th and landed on the 21st of 2011, ending the space shuttle program. That final shuttle to land was Space Shuttle Atlantis, touching down at the shuttle landing facility at the Kennedy Space Center in the early morning hours on the 21st. When it got to the Kennedy Space Center, it didn't leave, and it still hasn't left yet. And in fact, it's found a new home at the Kennedy Space Center. As this past weekend, on the 29th of June 2013, the new Space Shuttle Atlantis exhibit at the Kennedy Space Center Visitors Complex was officially open to guests and visitors alike to get to see their Space Shuttle exhibit. And Mark and I, as you might know, were there this past weekend at the opening covering it for you guys. So let's start with the exhibit itself. The Space Shuttle, as it's in the exhibit, is displayed as if it was supposed to be flying. It is literally somewhat suspended from the ceiling, with obviously some struts and supports holding it from the floor as well. The shuttle is tilted, in fact, on a precise angle of 43.21 degrees. And they said that they did this so that it would appear as if it was in flight, which not many people have gotten to experience. I thought it was actually cool seeing it on its side, didn't you, Mark? Yeah, in fact, uh, at one point during the weekend, I, I shot a, a, a picture and, and tweeted it, and I said, uh, Space Shuttle Atlantis, you can see your shuttle from just about any angle, and you really can, the way the exhibit is set up, and that's one of the biggest thrills, because the first time I saw a shuttle 
at a at a close distance. Uh, it was discovery on towback from the SLF to the orbiter processing facility, and I saw it from uh, leading from the front and going away to the rear. But basically, I saw it in one dimension. And the way you get to move around it and see so much more from so many different angles is um, it's thrilling. And there's going to be words that we're going to use and you probably think we're overusing. And anything we say is an understatement to how dramatic it is. Uh, that's a great disclaimer to start this off with. True, we are probably going to repeat a lot of adjectives because it was one of the most amazing exhibits I've seen. It was multiple levels too, so you could walk to different levels and get to see it from different views at the angles. The exhibit itself is 90,000 square feet, costing $100 million. It's crazy. But I found it interesting why they picked 43.21 degrees, and so did some other members of the media. Well, here's Mike Congen from uh, PGAV Destinations, which designed a lot of the exhibit, explaining why it's 43.21 degrees, because I was a little confused at that, too. As I mentioned before, the... The idea was to be able to present her with as many angles as possible, uh, to create the sense that she was in space. And to be honest with you, a lot of hours spent in computer modeling looking at lots of different angles. We didn't start off with 43.21, and it was almost uh, a happy coincidence that it ended up being something kind of memorable in the end. But uh, this was really about point of view and understanding what a child would see and what an adult would see from various angles. and. Uh, that's how she came to be. I honestly still don't believe that the 43.21 was sheer coincidence. Well, you know, the shuttle is a very precisely engineered uh, machine, and you have to give it that kind of treatment if you're going to carry on the legacy of it. Right, but I mean, what do you think of when you hear 4, 3, 2, 1? Don't you just want to say liftoff afterwards? To me, that's, <laughs> that honestly seems like it's way too coincidental for it not to be somewhat intentionally designed where A, it fit in the parameters, and B, it also happens to be a countdown. I like it no matter what it is. <laughs> exactly. It's a beautiful angle indeed to get to see it from. <laughs> and you know what's funny? I never even got the countdown uh coincidence of those numbers until this weekend i honestly didn't and i've been hearing it since uh they started giving some detail on atlantis uh at least that i remember hearing starting in november of last year i honestly hadn't heard that number till i got there and then i heard 43.21 and it took me a second to process that i'm like wait a minute 4321 that's brilliant whether it was intentional or not it is pretty brilliant and on top of it being on an angle, they uh, also did something really interesting with it to make it appear again as if it was in flight. And that is something that none of the other exhibits have. And that is an open payload bay. That's right, the payload bay doors are open and the canadarm is actually extended. It is The shoulder joint is relatively straight up and then it is bent outward over the walkway with the end effector, the part that actually grabs stuff, facing downward so you can look up and see inside the thing that grappled stuff like Hubble. It's just really well done. And um, if you know anything about the space shuttle, you know that um, those doors are not meant to be opened here on Earth. So 
how did they get them open? That's a heck of a challenge. And, uh, well, here's uh, Kennedy Space Center Director Bob Cabana as well as Chief Operating Officer of the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex, Bill Moore, answering that for you. That when it rolled over here, you know, it hit the strongbacks on the payload bay doors. And those doors are not meant to be operated in 1G. In the orbiter processing facility, there are counterweights that allow the motors to drive them uh, so that we can operate them and check them out on the ground. And they, they disconnected the, the linkage from the motors so that once they got over here and we unlocked them, they could swing freely. But I told Bill, I said, you better not damage those doors doing this. That's a true story. Well, indeed, they didn't damage them because they look pretty good, but that's just a little bit of pressure, right? You know, all the stuff to actually get it to open are disengaged, and you've got to very carefully pry these doors open, essentially. They're free-swinging, but at the same time, you can't let them free-swing and smash into the shuttle or come loose or get stuck. I'm amazed at how they were able to do this stuff. You know, I would have been a nervous wreck even when they were at the planning stages of designing this exhibit, I would have been a nervous wreck for the uh, the concerns of what could go wrong because it seems like the worries were would have been endless for the people that were uh, designing, engineering, and actually building that facility. Right. I mean, there's another thing that people don't think about is the shuttle is suspended in the air, lifted sideways. How the heck do you suspend a space shuttle in the air without the giant crane inside the vehicle assembly building? And they were saying that they had a company. They're like, you think you could do this? They're like, um, maybe. So they tried it. They literally took the machine they were going to use and gave it a physical piece of mass that was heavier than the weight of the actual shuttle. And it was able to lift it and maneuver it. So finally the company's like, yeah, I think we can do it. And they did it. Successfully without damaging the shuttle, so all the credit to them for that. And on top of that, it still has the docking ring inside of the payload bay, and you can still see some of the camera locations. But one thing that amazed me is the outside of it. I mean, you, there's just up close and personal with it. You can get so close that you can see so much detail. You can read some of the numbers on the tiles. You could see the texture in the thermal blanket, you know, where the name Atlantis is painted on, the white material. And one thing that I'm really impressed with, and I know that most of the places who got the space shuttle wanted it this way, in fact, I think all of them, was they said, we want it as is. We want it dirty. We want its scuff marks on it. We want the scars from its final re-entry, essentially. And they did that, but I know, Mark, you had an interesting question, right? Yeah, when you think about the success of the shuttle program, you think, well, how successful is any museum, any facility going to be with the continuing care of these shuttles? And so that was what I asked. And here is your answer from Bill Moore. Great question, and we have done a lot of work on that. Um, actually, when the shuttle was wrapped, uh, and, and for a while uh, Mike was and his team and Tim were putting the building around it, um, very carefully, I might add, um, and we did close in the back door, so Bob can't take it back anyway. Um, so one of the goals was when we took it off is we had, you know, building and construction is a little dusty, and we have this really odd saying that we wanted to clean off the bad dust and leave off, leave all the good dirt on, because when Atlantis came home, there are amazing strikes and, and burn marks and scorch marks from her ride home, 
And we wanted all that to stay just as it was, just as she looked on the, on the SLF when she came home for the final time. So we hired a team of conservation uh, folks from Washington who have a lot of experience with Smithsonian and whatnot. Um, our team has learned through that process, and we've already cleaned it uh, once and almost twice already. And we have a special lift platform on the roof to take care of her for years and years to come. And so just like the Saturn V and, and just like Atlantis behind us, we have to do maintenance and upkeep. And we will do that so that she looks just like this decades from now. I thought that was interesting. How the heck do you clean off the bad dust while keeping the good dust? It seems like that would be something that's difficult to do, you know, maintain its cleanliness while at the same time maintaining its dirtiness. Yeah, that's uh, the sort of thing that museum folks specialize in. And when he told me, uh, or, you know, when he answered that question, winding up with, we want it to look the same decades from now as it as it does today. That brought a smile to my face because that's what we want is to to have that as a a permanent uh, record of that thirty year success. Exactly, that's pretty much the point of having it in a museum is so people can see what it was like. Because I know there's a lot of kids that um, will go to see it and have never even seen a space shuttle launch, even though it lasted thirty years. I mean, there's still a whole generation that's never going to know the space shuttle era. It's kind of frightening, especially since uh, I've lived in it my entire life. Hey, Sawyer, let's take just a second and talk back and forth about the payload bay. Now, everybody's seen pictures of the payload bay. They know it's big. They've seen the satellites, the Hubble, and other things that have come out of it and brought close to it, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what was your thought when you saw the actual dimensions of it with the payload bay door, doors open? Did it surprise you for how big or small or long or narrow? or What was your thoughts? To be honest, I wasn't sure what to expect because I've seen these pictures that are taken of people standing inside the payload bay and how tiny they look. And yet, to be a thousand percent honest, when I first saw the payload bay, I'm like... That's not as big as I thought it would be. It doesn't look as deep. It doesn't seem as wide thinking about it mentally and, you know, physically seeing it. But knowing the actual dimensions, that's a mind trick. Because that thing is actually really big, especially with the Hubble model on the opposite side of the walkway right there to give you an idea of the size. And Hubble still had a little bit of room to spare in the payload bay. And that thing looks pretty big. So it's... I think a little bit of a mind trick and an eye trick. Yeah, if you if you look to your left and you see Hubble up there, uh, you know, as as though it's deployed in space, and and then you look back to your right uh, and see the payload bay, it's like, okay, it really is big. And let me give you a different perspective. This goes back a ways, but um, when Discovery had already finished her final flight, in fact, I think all of the shuttles had finished their their flights. Um, Discovery was the first one that was being uh, taken out of the taken out of commission, and I got to go inside Discovery. And on the mid deck, I was able to uh, crawl out the, uh, or, you know, out the airlock and look, you know, have my head out at the edge of the payload bay, looking out. And it is big; it really is big. And it was surprising how long it was from me being at the the forward bulkhead of the payload bay looking to the rear and it was empty and it was in the OPF and I remember um, either Charlie Bolden or Bob Cabana making a statement about 
the the fact that in the OPF they were shrouded uh, the shuttles were shrouded with scaffolding and work platforms and and you couldn't really see the shuttle you you didn't get the whole picture you saw parts of it and of course that's what I saw when I relate to discovery and and going inside uh, I was seeing parts of it and uh, so much different seeing the whole orbiter there before you right and it's also amazing looking at it realizing how the actual size of the crew compartment, and you're looking at it at least from this part of the exhibit going, how do seven people fit in there comfortably for two weeks at a time? It looks so small when you compare it to the rest of the orbiter. And I got a, this is kind of a sidetrack from a lot of what we're going to be listening to here in a few minutes, but I got to think, is this going to inspire people to to see the shuttle and to look at a... uh, an Orion capsule or a SpaceX Dragon capsule or the Boeing CST-100 and to say, we used to do this with the orbiter and now we're doing this with capsules. We need to move forward. We need to move on. Maybe there will be some sparks that will come from, uh, from seeing what we used to have. Hope so. Especially since they have the Orion model on display as well at the Kennedy Space Center and what they're now calling NASA Central in the middle of it. But, um, yeah, when you compare the size of space, it's, again, it doesn't seem that big. But in comparison to when you see the capsule, it's miles of difference, essentially. You know, it's cool getting to see the exhibit and everything. But what I personally think is the coolest is how you get into the exhibit. Now, they said not to spoil this, but I think at this point it's been spoiled so many times that you'll probably want to hear this. If you don't want to hear it, feel free to skip ahead a couple of minutes. But if you really want to hear how the how you are first introduced into the exhibit, this is probably – I saw this three times and I got goosebumps every single time. The first video, which had some actual footage as well as live-action recreations, was great. Then you go into the large theater, where it begins with the launch of STS-1. And the base, I have to admit, the base, it wasn't exactly like a shuttle launch, but the first time I saw the video, I initially, my mind initially flashed back to STS-135 and the feeling of a shuttle launch, that which startled the heck out of me. I was not expecting to feel actually like launch again. But the theater, it's a screen in the front and a couple of screens that are arching throughout the rest of the theater. There's about four or five screens that each are showing sometimes separate videos, like the launches of each of the orbiters, sometimes joint videos, um, for example, showing a CGI version of the inside of the shuttle or the CGI view from inside the visor of Bruce McCandless in his first flight um, untethered in space, his untethered spacewalk. And it starts to end with the landings of the shuttles. There's three landings that are shown, the last one being the final landing of STS-135. Then, in the pre-show, they introduce you to the original model that was used, the first ever design model for the space shuttle. That makes its way onto the screen in front of a image of the Earth. Then, suddenly, a screen lifts up. And in the background is Atlantis bathed in a blue light. And I could not tell at first. Is that a picture or is that the real thing? 
And surely enough, the announcer says um, 33 missions, 26 years, over 126 million miles, Atlantis, welcome home. And the screen lifts up and reveals the exhibit. It is absolutely amazing. And I'm going to play a clip for you later in the episode of the first people of the public, what their reaction was the first time they saw it. But I think right now, there was another person who had a first reaction, who had seen the shuttle before in its exhibit, who has flown on the shuttle before, but had never seen that video. And that was Kennedy Space Center director Bob Cabana. And... When he first saw that video, he was literally in tears. I was next to him. He could not speak. He could barely move. He just kept wiping away tears. And um, here was his reaction when he first talked to the press after that moment. Indeed, it was a wow. Wow. Huh? Isn't that a wow? I, uh, I've been following this closely for the last couple of years. I remember when it was... Uh, a bunch of cartoons over in a conference room over in the admin building. And uh, we had a vision for what we wanted it to be. And I want to thank Delaware North and uh, PGAB, uh, Mike, Bill, uh, Rick, you certainly have fulfilled my vision of what I wanted for Atlantis and uh, the Kennedy Space Center. It, it's truly awe-inspiring. Um, I, I've been over here a lot. Uh, I've seen it you know, I saw it roll over here. I, I saw it in shrink wrap. Uh, I saw it when it was displayed like this. But uh, today's the first day I got to see the uh, the two movies. And uh, I'll be honest, it uh, it brought a tear to my eye. It, it is truly amazing. So uh, thank you to the, the NASA Delaware North team that made this possible. It, it really is a, a wow, those movies, is it not? It goes beyond description, and there's so many parts that as you watch it, I, I kind of enjoyed one part where you were seeing the shuttle in orbit, uh, payloads being deployed, work being done, and you can tell you're a space geek when you're seeing just short glimpses of different uh, payloads and operations in orbit, and you're recognizing, you think, oh, that's such and such. Ooh, I recognize that. What's the name <laughs> of that one? And oh, I remember when they deployed satellites like this from orbit. And you're a space geek. And <laughs> it, you'll love it. You, you'll, you just, you really love it. Yeah, there were a couple I noticed, but you were pointing out a lot more than I was. And that was, that was a cool moment when you turned to me after seeing that and mentions that you remember that you recognized a lot of the missions. And it's funny because I recognized a couple of the landings and, uh, one other thing that was interesting is the landing as well on top of the launch where it has the base. It also, as the shuttle re-enters, uh, the base simulates the two sonic booms that announces the shuttle's arrival at the landing site. And that was a... I never got to experience that, and I know you did, Mark. So how was... Did that compare? Because I know it was relatively close, but not necessarily comparable to launch. But how was the double booms... I think it was spot on. And now I've only been there at KSC for three landings, two at the SLF and one at the press site across from the VAB. But, uh, you know, those that, that signature double boom, you know, it, it the way you feel it, 
is realizing what you've heard and your heart kind of responding with a uh, just a flash of excitement, you know. That was the only real part of a shuttle mission that I didn't get to experience from Earth. And I'm kind of disappointed I didn't, but I'm glad you got to, and I'm glad that that was as close as it gets to really feeling that. Now, one other question that was asked is, um, everyone has usually special moments uh, while events like this happen, and someone asked about if there were any special moments, and also about the names and all of the quotes that are around the entire exhibit, not just the walkway, but inside the exhibit as well from astronauts and employees alike on why they thought the shuttle was important or explaining their work. And the response about this is absolutely phenomenal. Well, there are so many interesting surprises. Uh, We work with a very strong lighting design firm, Fisher Morantz, out of New York City. And uh, they're one of the best in the business. And so when we started to talk about how to reveal uh, the shuttle, uh, reveal Atlantis from various vantage points, we realized that when we litter with various dramatic angles, that what got exposed were unbelievable detail on the thermal tiles. Or, you know, the, the real scars we talk about when, from her very many, you know, her 33 missions. And so I think that uh, she's a story that's still kind of unfolding, you know. And, and if you notice... It cycles in and out of different kinds of light here. And so that's one of my, my favorite little surprises is, is how she sort of changes over the time of the experience. Uh, a lot of the graphics that you see with the little messages, those are really dedicated to the people of the program. Those are dedicated to the engineers and the astronauts and the leadership of NASA because they really were the inspiration for this project. And so it was fitting that their words would be on the building. Just to add a little bit to what Mike said, um you know, folks like Bob Caban and others that have flown shuttles real life. We went out last night and met, we have a number of astronauts in this weekend that flew Atlantis. In fact, if all goes well, we will have one person from every mission Atlantis ever flew here and uh, to help us open this exhibit. And when you talk to them, and, and they really are the ultimate critics, and when they tell you, you did a good job, you really feel very proud that you were able to deliver what we tried to do. A few hundred people have been into space and they've enjoyed a view that only those on Earth can dream about. Um, They try to describe it to us, but it's very difficult to do. They try to capture it on film and and we tried to do that even on the outside of the building. Director Caban had called me one day and he said, the new building looks really good. I really like the outside, but it's so hard to capture exactly what we see. It's just amazing, the visuals. And so when we open the doors and we show Atlantis for the first time, we want people to stand in awe a little bit and to say, so that's what it was like. We want them to look in the background and see in space and go, that that looks really cool. Um, And then as you go through the building and see all the different people, you go downstairs, those are tires from 135 sitting on the floor. Um, I know because I have a picture of the outboard main left tire when she landed, and it's sitting downstairs, that same tire. So we wanted to tell the real story. And I think when people see that, they get inspired. So the happy moments for us are when people come out of the reveal theater and they applaud or they cry or they're just in stunned silence, and they walk up to this amazing worldwide artifact, really, and say, and you see the kids, little kids pointing in daddy's arm and mommy's arm asking questions. Um, it's really the payoff for us. And because this was not easy, it was a lot of work. 
Um, but when you do that, at the end of that, you know, you can kind of say, you know, we did a good job. And at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to do. So, yeah, I mean, that was on the Friday media preview. And I'm actually going to jump ahead just a little bit for one second to Saturday's opening. Because I'd mentioned the reveal and a little bit about it. And like Bill Moore was just saying there in the end, how he was hoping that people would have that amazed reaction of seeing it and realizing that it was flown in space and be in awe and be proud. And I think when you hear their reactions for the first time and see their faces, the amazement, the gazes and everything, I think that makes it all worthwhile. It's hard to capture the gazes on an audio podcast, but you can certainly capture their actual reactions. And we're going to play that for you now. One of the first groups to ever enter the Space Shuttle Atlantis exhibit, their reaction to seeing the shuttle for the first time. my goodness woohoo i think that answers what bill was hoping for with the crowd's reaction smiles everywhere in fact one one of the uh first groups that come out i watched a woman walk probably 20 feet from the uh the exit point of the theater out onto the walkway up up alongside atlantis and she had her her mouth open wide, her hand covering her mouth, her eyes open wide, and you know it, it's almost as if she was sleepwalking for staring at Atlantis. And uh, you know, it, yeah, sorry, you know, Atlantis does that to you. Exactly. There were people who were fist pumping at at the reveal. There were people who were literally smiling ear to ear. There were people whose jaws were essentially on the floor. Like you said, there were the wide-eyed people with their hands over their mouth. And there were people who literally had their hands over their eyes because they were just crying. And and I don't know about you, Mark, but just listening to that clip, I got goosebumps again. And I saw that video three times. I've heard that clip so many times, especially even just at the event, hearing it played over and over again, and I'm still getting goosebumps. That is, it is very powerful, to say the least. Well said, exactly. Beyond words. I mean, anything we can say, uh, the words don't do justice to what it's really like. But we gotta try, because after all, this is talking space. Right, that's the point of a radio show, is to be able to describe things to you. So we're trying our best here, and uh, I think the best people to describe the exhibit are the people who worked on it, which is why we're playing so many clips. 
but it's kind of hard to describe an exhibit that you've never seen. What's even more impressive is to try and describe an exhibit that is still in sketches and to get it almost exactly right. And that's what Bill Moore, the COO again of the Kennedy Space Center Visitors Complex, and uh, Andrea Farmer, who's also with the Kennedy Space Center Visitors Complex, um, that's what they did. We were one of the first organizations here at Talking Space to ever hear the plans for the Space Shuttle Atlantis exhibit. They said to us live after the launch of STS-134, the final flight of the Space Shuttle Endeavor, on our live launch broadcast on the website Astronomy FM. And it was really interesting that we were one of the first people that the news was broken to, and we were one of the first people to then see the exhibit. So, since we were one of the first people to interview them then, we interviewed them again now. So we're going to start by playing the actual audio from the live STS-134 broadcast, followed directly by our interview with them at the exhibit on the media preview event in 2013. We go back down to Mark Ratterman live at the Kennedy Space Center with a couple of very special interviews. So if you could please introduce who you are to the listeners of Talking Space and Astronomy FM. Hi, this is Andrea Farmer with Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. And Bill Moore, the Chief Operating Officer of the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. And this is just too cool to be talking to you guys. Hey, Andrea, how you doing? Hi, I'm fine. Is that Jean? Yes, it is. How you and doing? Hi, Andrea. And hi, Gina. Oh, it's great. Hey, it's the whole team. Yeah, it's like a little <laughs> reunion. <laughs> I know the next flight, SGS-135, is going to be particularly bittersweet since it is the final flight of the, uh, of the program. Also, uh, Shuttle Atlantis' last, last flight. But um, Atlantis is going to have a very special home, correct? Do you folks want to go ahead and speak up to, uh, to that and, and talk about preliminary plans to bring her over to uh, the visitor center? Well, it's, it is going to be challenging for a lot of folks to see it make the last launch, not only for the last flight of Atlantis, but certainly the last uh, flight of the space shuttle program. But, you know, we're really honored to be able to uh, bring Atlantis home and have her stay here at the Kennedy Space Center over at the visitor complex. And really is, in some ways, a tribute to all the men and women who've worked uh, over the years for this uh, wonderful program. But I think equally as important is that we have so many visitors who come from around the world and and enabling them to be able to see a shuttle for the very first time up close and personal and, and one that's just recently flown, uh, I, I think it'll be a very uh, treasured moment. And people will, you know, everybody talks about their bucket list and stuff, and launches <laughs> are certainly on everyone's bucket list. But I suspect seeing an orbiter uh, up close and personal and, and seeing Atlantis, uh, particularly here at the at the Kennedy Space Center, I mean, this is the home of orbiters and they all launch from here, and uh, they get processed here from flights. So we're we're really excited and honored to be able to uh, to know that Atlantis is going to come home, uh, and and uh, we, have, we have a great display that Andrew can talk a little bit about uh, the building and and uh, give uh, your listeners a chance to sort of hear what we're going to do. One thing that Bill has asked NASA to do is to don't clean up Atlantis. Keep yes. her dirty. <laughs> we want to show her as having worked in space, as having been flown in space. And you can see that space flight is tough, and that'll be reflected in the tiles and the exterior of Atlantis. As Bill said, you'll be able to get up close to this spacecraft, this amazing spacecraft. You know, most, well, everything else uh, Mercury, Apollo, Gemini, they've flown once. 
this is this is a shuttle that will have flown. Thirty three times. Thirty three times. Yeah, 33 by that times. Time. And we have a great building that we're putting together to uh, uh, to house Atlantis in for her uh, uh, time on display here, and and uh, it'll be the largest building we've ever done at the visitor complex. So we're really jazzed about that. And then uh, you know, we're, as Andrew said, we're going to show it in flight, and we're going to uh, not not do it on the three wheels sort of thing. Which nothing wrong with that, but we have an opportunity to show it the way people would see it if, if we were one of the chosen few to be up in space. So um, why not put it in, a, in an angle and have the payload bay doors open and, and do those sorts of things. So the, the concept is to, to tell the story. Uh, certainly we want to highlight uh, the Hubble mission because that was uh, uh, one of the last, re- I guess the last repair mission for the Hubble Space Telescope. Atlantis right. took part in that, which was certainly uh, one of the all-time uh, most intriguing, exciting, and, and uh, really nail-biting uh, spacewalks. Uh, but also the, the International Space Station. I, I think what people forget sometimes, uh, particularly probably more so in this country, is uh, we forget that every day, 24 hours a day, there there are folks in space that are going around this planet and uh, doing some wonderful experiments. And and uh, and that's going to go on for for at least 10 years in the future. And and uh, the shuttle program uh, was such a, a pivotal part in getting the space station built um, that we're excited to be able to to share that story with our with our visitors. The, I wanted to mention, too, that this new orbiter, permanent home for Space Shuttle Atlantis, is part of a 10-year master plan that we're essentially going to redevelop or redesign the entire visitor complex. It's going to become uh, more interactive, all kinds of uh, elements that appeal not only to space aficionados or space geeks, if you will, but to young people, to families, just something for everyone, and, and it will be uh, where we... we talk about the history but we look at the present and look towards the future it'll be engaging we hope to motivate people get them excited about space flight space exploration the saturn V center at kennedy space center is one of the most (sighs) phenomenal facilities i've ever seen yes and if atlantis could be showcased even as half as good as that andrea um you know it you've got a, a total winner on your hands as an attraction so what are your plans initially to design a spot for Atlantis to live in? Well, we're well underway with that design process. We've done schematic designs, and now, uh, Bill, you're working on the construction. Started the concept designs. Concept design. uh, we've, we've done concepts, and now we're in the schematics, and, uh, and then we go into uh, construction documents. But we've laid out the building. We have uh, have a number of uh, you know both interactive and, and uh, non-interactive displays in the building. Uh, it, it'll, it's about 60,000 square feet. The building will be... Uh, joined, if you will, with the shuttle launch experience to sort of complete the story of the of the shuttle program. Uh, we've, we've successfully opened and operated the shuttle launch experience now for a few years, and I think mating up the Atlantis uh, building and display to that uh, very interactive and, and uh, robust building will be exciting. The, the shuttle building for Atlantis will actually be bigger, It'll be almost 100 feet tall. Uh, we have some great pre-shows, uh, uh, just like we do with the Saturn V building, and thank you very much for those comments. It's a, it is a great facility, and people, you know, still come out of the firing room theater and sort of do that jaw-dropping moment of seeing uh, the Saturn rockets, uh, you know, and, and just imagine the power that came out of that. And I think we'll deliver the same kind of experience, if not uh, even better, with uh, when they see Atlantis. I want to mention too that the exterior entrance 
will be flanked by the two SRBs and the external tank oh, that we wow. have currently on display. We're gonna they're gonna be vertical though. Secret. Wow. <laughs> That's spectacular. <laughs> wow, I just got goosebumps thinking about that. So it'll be, I mean, just feel how tiny you will feel as you're walking into this building. <laughs> that is going to be too awesome. <laughs> it'll be the closest we can get people to what I would like to, as the folks did this morning, to walk out in the pad and look up and, and see those the, the tanks and the uh, RNGT tank and then go, let's go ride this thing and then go inside and see a real shuttle. So, you know, it's it's a shame all of us can't go uh, take a little ride this morning, but uh, I think we're going to recreate as, as much of that sort of emotion. Uh, the shuttle program itself has such a, a range of emotions from some real uh, uh, key moments and historic moments to some real challenging flights that uh, didn't end the way we wanted them to. And I think we want to share that with, uh, with, with all of our visitors and, um, and, and get them to appreciate this program just as they do the Apollo program. I remember like uh, Mike Leinbach saying that the plans for uh, – that he had seen some preliminary plans – for, uh, for Atlantis, and he's basically said it'll knock your socks off. It sounds like uh, just by listening to you guys, I'm, 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 I just can't wait to see this. Uh, Mike's been a great supporter, and uh, I think anytime when you get praise from those guys, you're, you're, you're really excited because we don't live in their world, and uh, if you can get them to tell you you're doing a good job, it's, it is really the highest praise you can get. So we're excited about it, and when we uh, get a little further along, we'll have to get back with you guys and uh, share a little bit further about what we're doing. I'm looking forward to that very, very much, sir. Thank you for for offering to do that. Before I play the next clip, I just want to throw in a couple of quick things. Keep in mind, that was recorded May 16th, 2011. They mentioned that with the Saturn V Center, how the pre-show, everyone has their jaw drop and how they want to recreate that with the shuttle. As you just heard us talking about, they beyond blew that out of the park. Uh, and again, at this point when they're talking to us, they didn't even have construction documents. They were still in schematics. The building was only supposed to be 60,000 square feet. They were planning on using the original model of the tanks and solid rocket boosters that were sitting outside the Kennedy Space Center rather than building new ones, which they actually did. It's crazy. Yeah, it was a work in progress for sure. And uh, what progress it made. Exactly. As they said, we'll talk with you again, you know, as we progress along. And we made sure while we were at the Kennedy Space Center to catch up with them again and uh, see how progress went. Here's what they had to say on June 28th, 2013, over two years later, with the actual opening of the exhibit. When we talked to you guys last, it was about two years ago at the STS-134 launch, and you guys revealed to us the big plans that you had for Atlantis. How has it been from when you introduced it to us two years ago to seeing it now? A whirlwind. I can't believe it's been two years, in fact. And and part of me wants to say, so what do you think since we announced the plans two years ago? But it has been a whirlwind process. Uh, Sometimes as we've gone through, you know, there there are days where you say, oh, we have so much to do. But we were so looking forward to um, the grand opening and to being able to share Spatial Atlantis with everybody. You know, it's like every big project you do. There's a couple of moments along the way that you get frightened you're going to be over budget or you're going to be late. Um, we picked near the July 4th weekend because there's a great big American flag in the back of that payload bay door. And people coming next week 
heck, we want them to come here and remember what this country did. And so Atlanta stands for more than just a shuttle. It really stands for what this country's about, and it stands for our, our a space program. Um, but four months ago, I'd have told you, I'm not sure we're going to make it. Uh, there are many meetings in my office where we're not sure or we might have this problem or that problem. Um, and at the end of the day, when you finally, and, I, and I've seen the, the Reveal Theater a couple of times, so the first time I saw that, I, I was with Director Cabana. I, I, it's hard to hold the emotion back, and it still is today. Even watching you guys in there today, I, I had a hard time. It's, it, when that, when that, uh, the space shuttle comes in that sort of fuzzy view, um, you're, you're just very proud. You're, you're proud to be in this country, and you're proud to be, be able to do this here and share the story. But it was a, it was a really tough two-year journey. I have to say, when you guys explained it to us a couple years ago, it, it still looks pretty much just like you were kind of explaining it with the entranceway and with it, with the Palo Bay doors open. What has changed, and what have you, since you originally thought of it, what did you realize, oh, we can't do that, or we should do this, and then decided to change it up? Yeah, you know, there's been some minor changes, but we always wanted to do a couple of things. We always wanted to do ISS. We always wanted to do Hubble. And we always wanted to have a lot of interactivity. We thought that was key. Um, this, the over 60 number sort of developed over time. It, some days there was more, some days there were less. Um, at one time, we actually were thought about, this sounds crazy, building a big chunk of the space station behind Atlantis so you would see it up against that. And then somebody reminded me that you, you can't do that, and it's, it's too big, and you can't hang it from the ceiling. And so we said, well, how do we do this? And so the, the large screen in the back was sort of, almost put together as an idea. And so we've had, uh, you know, there's a lot of great companies in Central Florida that are very creative, and they've done some amazing attractions over there. Those guys are here, uh, and they worked with us. And so um, while we don't tell uh, uh, Harry Potter stories, and we don't that, but the same quality of thinking went into this exhibit. And and, uh, companies like Nazzle and Mousetrap, who can take your ideas, and we sort of sat down when we first started and said, it's almost like a movie. We want you to come in and have that big grand moment, you know, when a movie starts. We want you to go through the emotional roller coaster. And then once you get out, we want you to have a break for a couple of minutes so you can sort of get your, your, your body back in motion. And then when you go, go down under Atlantis, we want you to think again about what a cool place this is. And then to walk back out under the, uh, the external tanks and the two SRBs. And if you watch people outside, I don't know how many photographs we put on, on the social media network in the last few weeks but I'm guessing that somebody bought several new servers somewhere because the number of photos of people up against the sign inside Atlantis, um, it's good. So, so a few changes, but we really, that vision that you heard, it's right here. And it's real close to the idea we had to start with. I think what's interesting about that vision was it, and correct me if I'm wrong, Bill, but at the time that we gave you that vision, hey, we're going to display an orbiter as in flight with the payload bay doors open. Yeah, we didn't know that. And we didn't know if you could really do it. And there were people who said, you're going to do what? You're going to lift an orbiter 30 feet in the air. Can't be done. You're going to tilt her at a 30, uh, 43.21 degree angle. You can't do that. And then open the payload bay doors. I mean, this whole thing designed to operate in zero G. But here today, we stand working with NASA's, the team at NASA, at USA, and it is possible. I, it kind of reminds me of Gene Cernan when he said, you can take the word impossible 
out of the dictionary because we've gone to the, well, you know, we've done something pretty amazing here with the entire, I think it speaks to the entire space shuttle program of what we've been able to accomplish over 30 years. Um, so here we are today at Space Shuttle Atlantis. You can see those accomplishments, the Hubble Space Telescope, the uh, tribute gallery to the International Space Station, um, and everything that's all encompassed here. I think this may be typical, but you've got a new fan for spaceflight because of this, and it's people that were part of the film production from Mousetrap. I talked to them, and they said, we're Hollywood. You know, we weren't excited about this, but once we started, we found that this was something that really was exciting, and I think they communicated a great, they did a great job. Because the last couple of weeks, as we got down to the wire, and we are pushing people really hard. I mean, they're guys and gals that have been here till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, Families have had illnesses, they've stayed, all of the things, just like a shuttle launch, right? Um, and when I walked around this morning and started to see them, they said, well, what do you think? You know, Because they're very proud of what they've been part of. And so their families are going to come back. Uh, they're going to tell their friends, hey, I've done some cool things in my career. you got to come see this. And I do think um, that, that for us, it's, it's not about us or about them or about anybody. It really was a collective effort. And if it does anything more than just sort of get the space program thinking galvanized and moving in a direction, that'd be kind of cool. So what next for the KSC Visitor Center? I mean, anything else you want to break to us? I know that this is a... <laughs> no, I mean, I know not that this... I mean, I know this is a huge undertaking. It's probably going to be difficult to top something like this. It will be, but um, our job is to do that. I mean, if you look at Saturn V, it was pretty cool when it went in in 97. And if you look at the shuttle launch experience, a lot of the astronauts wrote it and said, well, it's just like the real thing, and now we've combined them with this building. And um, so our, our goal is to tell that next step. And so in, in, in a few years, we're, maybe we're doing commercial flights and we have to find a way to tell that story in a different way. Um, maybe SLS is you know, all buttoned up and ready to go wherever it's going to go, and we're going to tell that story. Um, we have a master plan, and when we took this next contract, we set out laying out a master plan. And so we have some more milestones before the end of that master plan. And so this is three years in. And so you can predict that somewhere in the future there'll be another idea we're going to do. And, and whether it'll be as grandiose as this or more education-focused, you know, we'll see how that takes. But, but uh, we want people to come and, and see the Kennedy Space Center and the visitor complex in a, in a different way than they probably used to. Because I think this changed their view of who we are. And uh, that's a good thing. Definitely when you see something like this, you, you could say without a doubt that NASA is not dead. It's that's right. And, and if we do that, um, I, that's a pretty good job. You know, I would be very proud if NASA came up to us later and said, you guys helped us through the hump a little bit. You got people inspired. Um, maybe people call their, their congressman and say, hey, let's get going. Let's get this done. Um, we do surveys about space. Surveys, you know, indicate space is as cool as it's ever been. There are young people who never saw this fly, who never saw us walk on the moon, but they get space. And, and you know, you've got uh, uh, sitcoms on TV about space now, so um, space is starting to be kind of cool. And uh, it's funny because they, you, you think, well, they don't care about space, but their whole life is GPSs and weather and, and, and apps on their phone, and you can look up in the stars. And so they know more today than we knew a year ago. And I think that's, uh, that's the beauty of what like, something like this does. It's amazing hearing the difference that two years makes. Uh, back then, they had this grand plan that people thought were crazy, and uh, you know, four months prior to this, they were saying, I don't know if we can do it. And yet, two years ago, they just had sketches. I mean, this is... I'm amazed they were able to do this in two years. 
And not only that, but keep it almost identical to what they were saying back in 2011. And I can't wait to see what they do next if this is what they were able to do in two years. Yeah, I got a kick out of Andrea saying, uh, no, can't tell you anything just yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to ask because, again, so, they broke the news on our show at 134. We were one of, if not the first organization to hear that ever. Yeah, it's interesting to dream of the future. Exactly. Indeed, it's great to dream. Let's jump ahead to Saturday, and Saturday was the official opening of the KSC exhibit. Uh, Now, before we get to the actual grand opening, I want to play just one clip from the ceremony. And this is from the president of Delaware North, the company that owns and operates the visitor center, Rick Abramson. And this is something that became very popular on Twitter if you were following the event live. And I think this just says a lot about the exhibit. And we're already starting what he's asking people to do just by talking about it here. I hope you'll see it today. I hope you'll enjoy it and love it as much as I do. And I just want to ask you one thing. If you do, tell someone to tell someone to tell someone to tell someone to come to the Space Coast and the Kennedy Base. Kennedy Space Space Center. Simple line. Tell someone to tell someone to tell someone to tell someone to come. And, you know, I'm surprised from people that I've had contact with for for quite a few years where we've talked about going to the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. And for me, my first trip, okay, I'm going to reminisce, give people an idea how old I am. My first trip had to have been in the 60s and i remember walking in the vab and looking up and seeing the that giant crane and the the tour guide describing how big it was and i remember talking to people on and off throughout my entire life about multiple visits to the visitor complex and people Sometimes they just think, well, yeah, I'm going to do that, or I that's on my list of things I really want to do, and they don't get around to it. So I'm going to say tell somebody to tell somebody, but tell somebody to go this year, to go as soon as possible. Don't put it off. Go while the memories of the shuttle program are fresh. Go while you can meet the astronauts. Oh, dare I mention astronauts. (laughs) They have at least one astronaut there every day. It just so happened that we were there when there were 40. uh, Yes, indeed. So at the opening event, uh, they paraded in the 40 astronauts that they had there. 39 of the 40 flew on shuttle, the one exception being uh, Gemini and Apollo astronaut Dick Gordon. Um, But... They were all especially paraded in, their mission announced, what they did, what they flew. Um, They were all brought on stage, and they had a bunch of speakers throughout their ceremony. The ceremony itself was emceed by CNN's John Zarella. And what I found interesting was on the program, it had listed the ribbon cutting. There was only one problem. There was no ribbon. So... How do you launch an exhibit that doesn't have a ribbon? Well, the answer apparently was right in the question. How do you launch an exhibit? The four members on the stage, uh, who were the special guests, which included NASA Administrator, former astronaut Charlie Bolden, Kennedy Space Center Director Bob Cabana, 
Rick Abramson, as we mentioned, from Delaware North, and Bill Moore from Kennedy Space Center Visitors Complex. They each had a launch button in front of them. Counted down to launch. So as they pressed the buttons and the countdown hit zero, some sparklers started going off, and then big fog machine came out from underneath the model solid rocket boosters as if it was an actual launch. And uh, here's what it sounded like, and this should give you an idea of how extravagant this actually was. We're going to do the countdown now, gentlemen. I think you are ready. And the final go at T minus 10 and counting. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Yeah, inside that audio, I mean, you can hear a combination. You can hear the hiss of the fog machines. You can hear the crackling from the fireworks, the mini fireworks, as well as just the they played launch audio. And all three of those together, I mean, you can hear just how loud it was. And that was through the sound system. It was even maxing it out. It was just insane. And I, If only every single ribbon cutting was like that. <laughs> it was fun. It really was. And it was so much fun that, uh, you know, as press, I should have been looking at the, uh, the, the public that was there for the, for that grand opening. And I was not watching the public. I was looking at the, the, the actual SRBs and the tank and listening to it. And yeah, I was having too much fun myself. Well, that's what the NASA TV recording is for. Because, I mean, I wasn't even looking at the boosters in the tank. I was looking right at the stage when they hit the button. I was expecting something to happen, but I wasn't sure what. Then all of a sudden, I saw the sparkle out of the corner of my eye and heard the hissing. And I turned and looked, and the solid rocket boosters that we were just walking underneath less than 24 hours before, and would then walk underneath again a couple of minutes later, came to life. I was watching the... uh the SRB tank area the whole time because I knew they had some effects set up. I didn't know they had the pyrotechnics. I didn't know they had the uh, sparkers like they have underneath the shuttle main engines to burn off the uh, hydrogen that's venting. You know, I wasn't expecting that. And it was just, I thought it was cool. And I was taking pictures the whole time, which sorry, anybody that might be interested in seeing them. I haven't even looked at them. Uh, we've been kind of focused on the audio and uh, we'll continue to with the rest of this show but uh, hopefully have some pictures I just need to take time and look at them and then post some we'll definitely post some because I took 278 pictures while at the event 115 of them usable and including some from that event so we'll post a whole gallery on the website talkingspaceonline.com definitely go ahead and check out some of the photos from this amazing event. But we're not done talking yet. Like we said, this is a super special extra-long episode, so even though we're at about an hour, we've got a little bit more coming for you. And uh, 
This is where it gets good. Now we get to talk to the people. We're going to get to hear from one person who saw it and then uh, and then some astronauts. And I know that's what a lot of us want to hear. But let's start with a very special person before we get to the astronauts who Mark talked to. Can you explain to who we're going to hear from next, Mark? This is a friend that I uh, didn't know until I met at the SpaceX CRS-1 launch, Emily Carney. And uh, I had a great time talking with her during the SpaceX launch. And when I saw her at Atlantis, I was super excited because, uh, well, you'll hear what she has to say. And I was not disappointed in the slightest. Well, everybody knows who this is. I'm here with somebody that I interviewed for the SpaceX CRS-1 launch, Emily Carney. And I've forgotten your Twitter handle. Uh, Emily C. 1978. Okay. <laughs> Emily and I talked uh, last time we met about the SpaceX and, and the whole launch of Dragon and, the, and their, their first flight to the station and the social media presence. Well, here we're doing something a little different. We're at the Atlantis exhibit at Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. What do you think? You heard a little bit about it, but this was the first time you've seen it, right? I'm just overwhelmed. Like, um, when I heard about it initially, I was, I incorrectly assumed, you know, I was like, oh, it's going to be Atlantis only. And I love Atlantis, but I didn't know really what to expect. And then um, when I actually came through the exhibit with two of my friends, you know, I, it covered the whole shuttle program, you know, from, you know, the beginnings, the very beginnings, you know, 1969, because I think a lot of, there's a lot of people who don't, understand that you know the shuttle program did not start in 1981 it actually the embryonic portion of the program began in the 60s and they just kind of developed it from that point and i honestly did not expect it to start at that point i was thinking well they're going to start with the probably the first launch of atlantis or something so when they started at the very beginning and went through the very end by the end i was just, oh i'll just be honest i was an emotional I was just crying and stuff like that. It was amazing. It was beyond my wildest expectations. It went through the whole program, every milestone in the program. It went through the Hubble rescue, which was, you know, a huge, you know, that was a huge um, accomplishment in terms of, like, rescue missions because they hadn't, you know, really done something specifically like that before. So they went through that, and I was like, whoa, that's Story Musgrave on Hubble. Like, they covered everything from the beginning to the very end, you know, from STS-1's launch, and I thought that was just a beautiful visual way to start it, you know, to represent the beginning with the STS-1 launch with the white tank and all that. So I just, I just was, I'm still overwhelmed just talking about it. And then coming, and then coming in and seeing Atlantis, you know, just with its payload bay doors open and the Canada arms beautifully represented it as, as well because that was an amazing, you know, that was something amazing that Canada did, you know, to, in collaboration with us. And to me, that represents, you know, their side of the program as well because they have a big stake in it. So I just, I'm, a, I'm just overwhelmed emotionally. I thought it was amazing. Absolutely. I, words can't really describe. <laughs> I, I heard the term teamwork used yesterday by the Delaware North folks and people that were part of this whole thing. And there's another crowd of about 250 about to come through. Uh, it's it's a jaw-dropping experience. Yeah, it, it was it was not just you know I wasn't expecting it to be as emotional and visceral as it was. Like you actually felt it in your body. It was one of those things. Like you always think I've been following the shuttle program since I was knee high to a grasshopper. I, I remember my first shuttle, the first one I followed was STS-2 in 1981. And I was like three at that point. And I remember, you know, as a kid, you know, you always, I always wanted to be an astronaut. I would have space shuttle books. And I, these astronauts were like rock stars to me. Like other people had rock stars. I had astronauts. And I remember 
you know, when you saw a launch in person, it, it wasn't just, you know, a visual experience. Yeah, you saw the flames and stuff. It was kind of a visceral, like you felt it in your body, you know. And this really captured that feeling amazingly well, you know, because that's the part that kind of got me emotionally was I could feel, you could just feel it. It was awesome. And the sonic booms at the end, I mean, I'm kind of giving spoilers at this point, but that just was like, that's when the tears started because I was like, oh my God, they captured it perfectly from the beginning to the end, you know. So I just, I thought it was amazing. But um, yeah, you can see, you know, that the, in this whole exhibit, you can see the teamwork between all cooperating countries, you know, who worked during the shuttle program. You know, you got Hubble, and it's got the ESA logo on it, so I think that's beautifully represented as well. Um, and obviously the Canada arm and stuff like that, and you have the ISS represented up here. So I just think it's a lovely way to wrap up, you know, Atlantis's history, because Atlantis had a major stake in deploying a lot of, you know, it had Tedris, it had, I want to say, Magellan. It had a lot of different, you know, payloads. And also it was a great workhorse, and it did a lot of repair missions. And, of course, it went to Mir and the ISS and stuff like that. So it's just like, it, I felt like the, it's just everything is kind of beautifully represented. The whole co- collaboration between all the international agencies and NASA. So I just think it just wraps everything up amazingly. Like, I have chills just talking about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. We're all, uh, we're all 100% certified human beings. <laughs> Um, tell us, aside from Twitter, which you mentioned at the beginning, where people can follow you and see what uh, what kind of writing and publications you're working with. Wow. Um, I do a lot of different stuff. Um, I'm, I write for America Space. I'm, I'm a writer there. Um, and also, I'm on Facebook under Emily Bot. And um, there's also a group that I have. Uh, I'll just promote it. Any space freak can feel free to join it. It's called Space Hipsters. Um, I actually started it... A- couple of years ago with like four people and I thought nobody would join I just started it as kind of a joke and I kind of had a throwaway name for it and I just shared pictures of space stuff you know like that I thought was cool and it was kind of humorous I didn't really take it seriously it's blown up in the last year or so now we've got over 300 people and it's just kind of a neat little community of vision we all kind of share stuff it's not always serious some of it's tongue-in-cheek but it's kind of neat if you're interested in that thing but um please check out America Space. I, I love, I work with some awesome people. I think we have um, a staff of some amazing writers and personalities that work there, amazing photographers. And um, I'm very blessed to be working with so many amazing people in the industry. I'm very lucky. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So we've saved, I think, the best three interviews for last. And these are the guys who actually flew the shuttle, the astronauts. First one we're going to talk to is a three-time shuttle flyer, veteran of STS-42, STS-51, and STS-79, and that is Bill Reedy, who is also associated with the Challenger Centers for Space Science Education, which I'm a part of. And um, we talked to him as one of the first astronaut interviews that day. Unfortunately, the first part of the interview had some issues on one of the recordings, um, so basically I asked him what he thought of the exhibit, and um, I'll answer the first question for you of what his response was, and then we'll go right into the rest of his recording. So what did he think of the exhibit? Quote, I'll tell you, Sawyer, this is spectacular. It's a one-word thing. You could say, wow, all day long, and wouldn't capture the goosebumps moment when you first see it. It's just Spectacular. And obviously you have a big impact with education. That's one of the major part of your background. 
How do you feel this will help with education? Well, uh, as you know, I'm involved with the Challenger Center, and it's about educating and inspiring using space. And I, I can't help but feel anybody that comes into this exhibit and seeing Atlantis the way it is and getting a chance to look around at all the different uh, exhibits and learn about space and learn about it will just be overwhelmed and uh, educated in the process and I hope also inspired. What do you think about the future of manned space flight at this point? I'm very optimistic. You know, it uh, reminds me a little bit about the interval between Apollo and shuttle. And that's about where we are right now. The shuttle has ended, and we're about ready to embark on the next uh, major voyages of exploration. Great, thank you. You're welcome. Is it just me, or is that music a little too perfect in the background of his response? Ah, it's kind of good for reliving the moment. <laughs> exactly, because keep in mind, all this music we're not adding in. That is the actual music in the exhibit. And I have to throw in here, the exhibit did have a lot of audio and the music throughout the exhibit in different locations and everything it was absolutely phenomenally well done it matches the mood it sets the mood right with the sense of triumph and yet goosebump wow factor Uh, uh, something that a lot of people don't think of just that music in the background of an exhibit it gives that spacey awe-inspiring feel to it so whoever did the music of the exhibit uh hats off from an audio guy here now this next interview uh this is personally probably my favorite of the entire event uh this one we've got an interview with ken ham who is the pilot of sts-124 and the commander of atlantis's first last mission sts-132 so we're going to hear from ken ham as well as a very special person who works at nasa and happens to have a connection to Ken. What do you think of the exhibit so far? I'm absolutely floored. It's, uh, I don't consider myself to be a, a largely emotional person, but seeing that for the first time was, was truly emotional. kind of caught me off guard. Uh, you know, Atlantis kept me and all my astronaut buddies alive in, in what is a, a very difficult environment of survival out there in space. And to see her here looking awesome, And knowing that that ship, you know, that machinery kept us all happy and healthy and got the mission done is pretty pretty spectacular. What were uh, your flights with uh, shuttles or with Atlantis? Uh, With Atlantis, I was the commander of SGS-132, which was uh, three years ago. Launched middle of May three years ago. Yeah. So not that long ago. So is part of that emotion just the way that they displayed it and the beauty of it, or is part of the emotion just that you don't get to fly in it anymore? Um, part of it is, is how good it is displayed in its static sense there, but I have to give them a fair amount of credit with the whole build-up of the, the two movies going into it. You know, it tells the story, and you, you think about all the history when you're watching it. They got the music right, and that, that ending moment is truly a magic moment. And I think that's what's going to keep people coming back here. Um, just looking for that magic emotional moment of, of seeing what the space shuttle really meant. Any tips for the current group of astronaut candidates about to start their training? Have, have patience. It's all worth it. It took me 10 years in the astronaut office before I flew my first flight. And uh, I can say, looking back, that you know at the time I was getting a little bit impatient, but it's all worth it. You go into space, actually, as soon as the, the rocket lights and starts pushing you up through the atmosphere, you know it's worth it. And the rest of it's all fun. 
so they're yeah they're in a great position they're going to have a, a great experience up there in space well, I know you were lucky enough to actually have the experience of getting in and flying the bird. What are you hoping that people who see the exhibit who didn't have that experience will get out of it? And do you think that maybe they could get a little bit of a taste of what you did? Yeah, that's, and you're right, that's a very good question. And I hope that what people see is what their predecessors have done as far as guts, ingenuity, taking the risk it, it took to make this incredible vehicle. You know, in the, in the world we live in right now, if the space shuttle never existed, I'm not sure we have the political willpower, the financial means, the guts, the ingenuity to make a space shuttle. And yet it was done 40 years ago. It's pretty remarkable. And that kind of human spirit is what I hope others can glean out of this experience. If seeing that beautiful bird doesn't make you want to, you know, get excited, especially for young kids, about being an astronaut or going into space, I don't know what will. Right, exactly. And, and they did such a good job displaying it that I, I mean, if this doesn't work, just like you said, you said it perfectly, if this doesn't work, what will? <laughs> What's it like landing the shuttle? You've got many, many more hours in, in military aircraft with the Navy as a pilot prior to being an astronaut. What's it like landing the shuttle? You know, somebody just yesterday asked me a very interesting question about the difference between launch and landing from a ability standpoint, if you will. And I hadn't really thought of it that way, but in thinking through it yesterday, landing the shuttle is so similar an act to landing other airplanes, other than the fact that it's a glider, it's a little different, that it really wasn't that foreign. And as a confidence level, I felt like I could correct anything that would go wrong and it would be just fine. Whereas launch, you know, you don't get to launch rockets into space very often. So when things go well, it's fine. But when things don't go well, you have no experience base to, to play back on. And you kind of have to figure out how to do it in, in real time, I guess. You know, fortunately, everything went well. But um, they're different from that extreme, from the guy that's flying the airplane. That's, that's the way it felt different to me. So short answer, just like flying another airplane going to take a, a bit of a turn here. I think this is probably a first for Talking Space where not only are we talking to an astronaut, but right alongside is an astronaut spouse. Can you tell us, introduce yourself, and can you tell us something about what it's like? Well, in, in uh, the other half? my name is Michelle, and I'm kind of in a different position than most astronaut spouses because I also worked at Johnson Space Center for 10 years in mission control and training astronauts. So I thought I was fully prepared for what it was going to be like when he launched because I'd launched friends, I'd launched colleagues, I'd launched people I'd trained for years and years on end. I was like, ah, no problem. I know exactly how it's going to go when it's time for him to launch. And it's, it's different. It's this tumult of emotions of excitement and anticipation and happiness and not really fear. Everyone's always like, were you scared? No, not really scared, but... You know, when you go fly anything, I'm like, uh, fly safe, come back in one piece. So it's it's an amazing it's an amazing marvel, and it's one of those things that being here and getting to see this, um, I feel honored to be part of a group in in more than one ways. As his wife and as someone who holds the space program near and dear to my heart, because I was part of it for so many years. So many of my years, at least. Not, not as many as some of the folks around. So I'm going to sell Michelle out here. She just found out two days ago that she is being inducted into the Space Camp Hall of Fame in Huntsville. 
with two others uh, this year to join a, a select group of maybe 30 that are in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Pretty cool. I've been a space geek since I was three. <laughs> <laughs> so did space camp kind of actually just spark your interest a little bit more in space, or was it a little bit from Ken or a little bit from just all of the above? Or? Uh, it's, Ken and I met and got married, well, we met about ten years ago. We got married about six years ago. Actually, the gentleman who was part of sparking my interest was here this weekend, and I made a complete fool of myself, like the star-struck teenager. I walked up to him, and I, you know, well, he introduced himself to me, Mr. Crippen did, uh, Captain Crippen, Crippen did, and I was just, like, at a loss for words, because I watched Columbia's maiden voyage, and that was what made me go, I want to be an astronaut, or I want to go work at NASA. And Space Camp was something that I found out about, compliments of the movie, that you were probably not old enough to remember, would be my guess. I've seen it about 20 times. Okay, excellent. Um, that <laughs> came out glory. when I was young, <laughs> and so I said, I have to go there. And I was lucky enough to be able to apply for a scholarship and get a scholarship to go there. And it just kept, kept stoking that fire. So I think it's really important that we keep stoking those fires for students who are interested, with things like Kennedy Space Center Visitor Center, with things like Space Camp, with things like... Um, the International Space School Educational Trust that does things all around the world to get kids interested in science, technology, engineering, and math. Because if space doesn't do it, like you guys said about this exhibit, I don't know what will. I personally don't know who was more interesting, Ken Ham, who was an astronaut, or his wife, Michelle. Oh, yeah. And uh, coincidentally, that same day that this interview took place, earlier that day, I just happened to see something on Twitter, a picture of the families of STS-124 from the roof of the launch control complex and seeing the shuttle take off in the distance from Pad 39A and uh, the, the dynamic aspect of the fact that these are real people watching their, their own loved ones go fly into space and... Uh, Hopefully we can include that as a, uh, a link or post on this show because I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that for, for a shuttle launch. It's an amazing picture. I mean, obviously the Atlantis exhibit just brings out emotions and goosebumps, but even though it's a static image and you can't walk around it and it's not tilted at a 43.21 degree angle, you still get the emotional impact looking at that picture as they all have their arms linked around each other with the shuttle launching up. And you could tell it's one unified group just as the astronauts on board the actual shuttle are. And think about it. 135 launches. There were people that were, I'm sure, exactly like that with the unity of that, that bond of, of watching people they knew go fly. All right, now we've got one last astronaut interview to wrap up this show with. And um, of the people that we interviewed uh, that we had time to run clips for, this is by far the most experienced of the astronauts, and that's Jim Halsell, who flew five times, and he'll tell you exactly which missions and what he thinks of the exhibit. To start with your name and mission numbers. Uh, my name is Jim Halsell. I got to fly five shuttle missions from 65, 74, uh, 83, 94, and 101. So I got to fly Atlantis twice. and This has been a great event with Atlantis and having everybody who got to fly her be represented for all the missions. What's it like seeing her in the museum? What do you think? 
it, it's it's beautiful. The the way they have presented this is unlike anything I've ever seen anywhere in the country of all the other vehicles. And the uh, astronauts are usually the only people who get to see it up close and personal with the payload bay doors open and the arm out. And uh, it's it's great to see the rest of the nation get that opportunity now. Yeah, do you think that the way that it's displayed and what they did here will maybe make it people that come here can maybe get a sense of what it was like doing your job? I think they'll get more of a sense of what it's like. I really do. Because you can see the detail of the payload bay, see how intricate the engineering that went into that vehicle is. You can see the payload uh, uh, mounted uh, docking module and, and, and also go around to the backside and see the tiles. And uh, you can actually see the airflow patterns from entry etched into the tiles. I'm glad they didn't clean it up too much, Atlantis. I'm glad they left it the way it was from all of its entries. How did Atlantis fly for you? Was she, you know, because obviously you want a couple different orders, was she smoother than the others? Did you have any special quirks or anything? No, most I, I flew uh, Atlantis twice, Columbia three times, and uh, Columbia was only different in one part of the mission. It would have a tendency to uh, to vibrate a little bit as you were passing below Mach 1 on entry. And Atlantis didn't do that. I don't know what was different about the aerodynamics of the two vehicles because they are essentially identical to each other. But that's the only difference that I ever saw between the two. So is seeing this happy or is it bittersweet or a combination of all? It's both. I, I think every astronaut would tell you that uh, we feel so lucky and privileged to have been at the right place and the right time and to be lucky to have flown the vehicles. Um, and we think that we hope that we were able to work with the vehicles and the whole program to make a contribution to the nation's space program. So naturally, it's bittersweet to now see the vehicles retired to the museum. But we're, we're working forward, we're looking forward, we're moving forward with commercial space flight, with other vehicles. Uh, so it, it's not, as some of the science say around here, it's not the end, it's, it's just the beginning of something new. Great words. Can't go wrong when you get to talk to astronauts. And now, of course, we have to include spouses. <laughs> yeah, honestly, you know, like I was saying, I think that's one of my favorite interviews is hearing the two of them being able to interact with each other, him having the spaceflight experience, her having the spaceflight training experience. And I remember afterwards she was saying to us um, that when Ken was getting ready to fly and she was doing the training that she thought she would be prepared. You know, she trains all the astronauts and everything. She thought that she would really be ready for the launch, but she was still wasn't quite ready. And, of course, you know we're giving you some good recordings, uh, listeners of our show here, but Sawyer and I actually got to talk to some of these same people and others where we didn't have the recorder on and we were just talking. And uh, what a wonderful experience. It really was special having that many veterans around to uh, to talk with. And, in fact, Sawyer, when you and I first got there, I was standing right next to Dick Gordon. And, uh, wow. <laughs> He actually remembered me, if you recall, I talked with him at Space Fest. Um, he remembered me from that, and uh, we had a nice hello, and that was the first astronaut I ran into. Now, before we sign off, there is one clip that I didn't play that I really do want to play, and this goes back to Friday from Bill Moore. And this actually coincides with the last clip you just heard about the scientist saying that it's got a new mission. And here's Bill Moore, and this is how we're going to end the episode. When Atlantis landed for the final time, July 21st, 2011, it was said that the voyage had come to an end. We're going to challenge that a little bit. We think a little differently about it. Atlantis voyage has not ended. In fact, it's just begun. Whether you call it STS-136 or a new mission, it really doesn't matter. 
Atlantis is here is just the beginning to educate and to inspire an entire future generation of space explorers. And we were indeed honored to be able to bring to you the start of Atlantis's new mission with the grand opening. And that brings this episode to its conclusion. I'd like to thank you for joining us, Mark Ratterman. My pleasure. And Sawyer, I got to thank you because uh, you really uh, kept up with the uh, contacts and the planning necessary for us to be there. And of course, you've done a phenomenal amount of work in getting this episode out. So thank you. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm so glad to have been there. And you know, I think I'm going to go back. <laughs> I don't think there's any way you can't not want to go back after seeing that. And a thank you as well for everything as well in terms of logistics and actual physical transportation and help with getting some of these interviews. And thank you as well. And thank you to everybody who worked in any way, shape, or form on this exhibit or the space shuttle program at all. I mean, this exhibit truly shows the pride that we as Americans and pretty much the world have for our space program, especially manned, and the amount of effort that people put in to both making this exhibit happen and making one of the most complex flying machines ever built fly almost flawlessly, that takes a lot, and they did an amazing job, and that says a lot about the pride of the people who worked on it and around the world for the country that built it, and that's why we're releasing this special episode on July 4th, and we thank you for joining us, and we hope that you have a very safe holiday. And we hope that you'll join us again next week. But until then, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are, and go Atlantis. (laughs) 